Good morning, church. Happy Memorial Day weekend and happy Pentecost. We got a lot to celebrate this morning, so would you stand with me before we worship? I don't think it's any mistake that we get to celebrate something like Memorial Day at the same time that we get to celebrate Pentecost, which is the big fancy way of saying when everyone was up in the upper room and the Holy Spirit descended on them after Easter and awakened all sorts of things inside of his people, birthed something new. It was really a pivotal turning point for the apostles and disciples. I don't think it's any mistake that we get to celebrate these two in tandem. Because when you think of Memorial Day, when you boil it down, it's about celebrating men and women who have laid down their lives to be able to bring people freedom and grant them access to their homeland, continued access to their homeland. And when you think of what Jesus did for us, he died, laid down his life to bring us freedom and to bring us into his homeland, right? Very, very similar circumstances, just from very different perspectives. And I find that when I, um, when I have listened to people talk a lot about Pentecost, I see a lot of people get hung up on thanking God for the fire and the wind and the tongues and the prophecies and all of the manifestations that happened in that place, which well, obviously those were all from God, so they were all good things. But when I look at Pentecost, I don't find that God was so excited to just pour out his power. I find a man, a God, who was excited because there was now a freedom to show a new facet of himself. The Holy Spirit has, had existed from before the Bible ever started, but we'd only gotten to see him as through a mirror dimly. And now we got to see him in full. He got to show himself to us, himself, not itself, himself to us. And I think there is a beauty in recognizing that we now have the ability to commune with God in a whole new way. That Pentecost is not just about his power, about things he can do, it's about who he is. And I believe in all of the fire and the wind and the prophecies and the tongues, they're all wonderful things. But if those things come and I don't know his heartbeat, I'll misuse them. They'll harm what the people that he meant to heal them with. And so today as we're worshiping, when we're singing about every victory, I want us to focus less on the victory and more on the victor. When we're talking about a God that holds the whole world in his hands, I don't want us to just focus on the world. I want us to focus on the one holding it. So maybe when we're asking him to birth something new in us today, as I know that he will, maybe we'll see that he's birthing a new perspective of who he is, that he's showing something new about himself and not just about what he does. So let's pray before we start worship this morning. God, we thank you for being a God of freedom who understood the sacrifice it took to earn that freedom for your people, God, the ultimate sacrifice. We do not belittle or diminish the importance of what you had to endure so that you could bring us into your homeland, God. God, we thank you for a day that we can reflect on that shows us a deeper reflection of who you are, God. God, we thank you for who you are for being good and noble and true and holy and mighty and a thousand other adjectives we could ascribe to you, God. Would you help us to know you more? Would you help each person, each of your family members in this room, God, to know a different part of you today, a different name of you, a different adjective of you, God? Would you help us to commune closer with your heartbeat, Lord Jesus? God, we believe for those miracles you brought about on Pentecost 2,000 years ago, God. We believe that they are still just as viable today, and we believe in hope for them, God. But we hope that we can hear your heartbeat on the deeper in the midst of them, 
see the why behind the what you did back then and are still doing today, God. We love you, God. We trust you, and we choose to honor you today with our worship. And it is in your holy and almighty name that we pray together. Amen. Season, Lord, 
in the fire and storm, you're above it all. My whole world is in your hands. My whole world is in your hands. When the unknown is where I am, my whole world is in your hands. Oh, I surrender every word. Oh, to my ever-present help. Oh, you've already gone before me. Oh, I will not be overwhelmed. Oh, I surrender every word. Oh, to my ever-present help. Oh, you've already gone before me. Silence is 
against Goliaths that seem so undefeatable, Lord God. Dealing with sickness and anxiety and depression and socioeconomic situations that seem impossible to defeat. But today, Daddy, we don't serve a dead philosopher. We don't serve an ideology. We serve a risen Savior who's in the world today, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus. Hear our cry today. Hear our prayer today. Every victory is yours. Our whole world. Everything we're worried about. Everything we're stressed about. Every lie of the enemy that's been sown into the field of our hearts. We surrender to you. We surrender. Come on, church. We surrender. We surrender to you. Just take a moment. Just say, Daddy, I need you. Jesus, I need you. This isn't about me praying for you. This is about us lifting our voices together in a song, in a shout, in a prayer, in a praise, in a trust of God. Only you can move, Daddy. Jesus, only you can move. There are those with sicknesses, doctor's reports, that say this sickness is final. I pray right now for healing in the name of Jesus. People have been let go from work this week, uncertain how to make bills meet. 
Daddy, I thank you that you are Yahweh, Yirah. You're the God that provides. There are those who have lost peace even as they drove in today. The, the, the robber of peace has come and stolen it. But you are Yahweh Shalom. You are peace itself. I pray right now that you manifest your victory in this place for your glory. We take none of it. Come on, we take none of it. We take none of it. All is yours. All the victory, all the glory, all the honor, all the power, all the praise. Jesus is yours. So together, Daddy, we say, let your kingdom come today. Let your will be done in our lives and in our families and in our friends and in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our nation, in our world. God, we need your will. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. For yours is the glory and yours is all the honor and yours is all the power and yours is all the praise and yours is all the, the glory now and forever and ever and ever in Jesus' name and together we say amen and amen. Come on, can we praise God for something today, for a breakthrough, for who He is, for the greatness of our God in the land of the living. How many of us are glad that we don't have to die and go to heaven before we know the goodness of our God in the land of the living? See, like, truly, that would be a good enough deal. Can we agree that that would be a good enough deal? Like, the way that we've lived, and yet, then we die, and then we see His glory, which, that's a great deal. Like, that, we don't deserve that. So, like, that would be good enough. But my God doesn't do that. My God loves us so much. He wants to, what Jake said is so true. God is not a concealer of Himself. He's a revealer of Himself. There's not one part of God we need to be afraid of. Not one aspect of His majesty that we need to cow in. He loves you so much. He wants you to see His glory on that side of the veil and on this side. What a God we serve. By the way, I was sharing with our team this week, His glory, His concept of glory, and our concept of glory may be very different. But he will reveal himself because that's who he is. What a God we serve. He just wants to know you. And he just wants you to know him. Whew. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But I'm so glad you're here. Hey, can you give each other a hand for being here this morning on Memorial Day weekend? Thank you for coming in, getting up, dodging the shore traffic. Watching the surfboards on top of the car next to you, knowing where they're going and know where you're going. Come on, it's just... But I'm so glad you're here. I really am. I want to give a shout-out to everybody who's online this morning. We know that you already, many of you are already on Memorial Day vacation. So many of you, we love you. Pastor Rob, Pastor Irene, we love you guys. Keep winning LBI for Jesus down there. We love you. Love it. Anyone else feeling bad for Pastor Ron, Irene? Yes, we love you. Um, man, I'm so glad that you're here. Today, we have an opportunity to continue to celebrate as a community of faith. And if today is your first time or second time here at Connect, welcome. Thank you for being our guest today. It's great to have you. We want to just get to know you a little bit more. We hope you want to get to know us a little bit more. On the screens, you're going to find a QR code. All around, you'll find a QR code in just a moment. Uh, you can just check us out. Let us know that you're here. 
We want to actually learn how to live life together with you. Do this thing called life together in the community of faith. Well, hey, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Lisa, you guys are rocking it. Kiddos, can you follow Pastor Kevin out? Give them a hand as they're going to church. Give a hand to all the kids team as they're working it out. Love it on the next generation. Give somebody next to you a high five or an air high five. As you're being seated, tell them it's good to see them today. Now, that's not fair. You got to hug the neck. I didn't get to hug the neck. I see my two good friends, Matthew and Liberty Harris. Guys, we love you so much. It's so good to see you. I can't wait to hug you. This is horrible. I didn't get to hug you yet today. Matt and Liberty are um, missionaries in Nepal, uh, and they just got back after uh, doing 937,000 years there, it seems like, and... uh, they, they have been such an integral part of Connect for so many years. And just, oh man, I love you guys. Zeke, man, it's so good to see you, dude. Look at you looking rock. Look, yeah, yeah. It's a mighty champion right there. And uh, we're going we're gonna, to, I'm sure we're gonna, you're going to hear from Matt and Liberty uh, uh, over the next uh, couple of weeks. Just to, they're going to be around for a little bit. If you don't know what they're doing, if you don't know where they've been, if you want your life to be encouraged, take them out for lunch. Just go have a cup of coffee with them uh, in their time. Their time is really short being here because they're getting ready to go back to Nepal. Um, but what they're doing is so miraculous and so amazing. And to, to not only to live in a foreign country, but to be willing to raise a family in a foreign country um, for one thing, for the kingdom of God. Like Matt and Liberty are two of the most humble people that I've ever met in my life, and I love them. And Matthew's a doctor, and he works in a, a hospital over there. Um, and he did it just out of obedience to God. I love, I love your story, dude. It's so, it's so I, I, I just miss you. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, because if not, I'm going to talk to Matt Liberty all day, and that's not good. Hey, we'll, we'll hang out. But I do, I do want to give a shout out really quickly uh, to our uh, TKC, our Thy Kingdom Crumb team this week. Um, uh, for many of you who may not know, we have a mobile food truck ministry that uh, brings food all over our, in our surrounding communities just to show the love of Jesus. And uh, tragically, a few weeks ago, um, a 27-year-old officer, police officer, Robert Schisler, uh, in one of our re- re- local precincts was shot and killed on duty. And, um, and so this week, we had an opportunity to go uh, and just go to the precinct and share the love of Jesus uh, with some of the people there in the community who are suffering. And for us, we talk about this all the time, that we mourn with those who mourn. It doesn't matter what color they are, what socioeconomic background they have, uh, whether they wear a uniform or wear street clothes, it doesn't matter to us. We respond because love responds. And so we've responded to our, in our community when there's been tornadoes, when there's been fires, uh, when, when, when there's socioeconomic hard time. We respond in the midst of injustice and we respond for, to officers of justice. See, for us, love always shows up when pain is present. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? When our pain was present, he showed up. When our, you can be assured that when you're going through something in pain, Jesus is going to show up because love shows up when pain is present. And so what an honor it was for us to be able to do that. Thank you, team, for doing that. Thank you, church, for giving and being a part of supporting that. It's been a continued blessing to our community in a variety of ways. 
talking about those who have sacrificed. We are honoring Memorial Day this, uh, this week. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. And I want to encourage you, just don't blow through that day. I know it's a great day that we get off and in the midst of eating hot dogs and hamburgers and hanging out with your family, can I really encourage you to do three things. Pray. Take a moment to pray for those who are still standing in the gap for others around the world. Be thankful for those who have stood and are standing around the world for people, not only in our country, but for so many other countries who are absolutely needing freedom and there's people standing in the gap. Be thankful for that. And remember that your freedom came at a cost. It's great to have a holiday and I love it. But let's not remember, let's not forget why we have that holiday and why we can be here in this church today without fear of anyone bursting through those doors. Because we've had men and women throughout the years who've stood in the gap, just like Jesus stood in the gap for us, for our freedom. Others stood in the gap for this freedom. So that's what we remember. So are you guys ready for the word? I'm ready for the word today. I know this is uh, an unusual. I walked in today and, uh, and Shayla, um, one of our worship uh, leaders, said to me, uh, can I eat some of this? For, like, they won't notice if you just break some of the bottom bread off. Let me, that, let me. She said, I was fine until I walked in here and it smelled so good. Why you got to use real food, pastor? And I'm like, because I'm hungry. I need a, need a meal. Look, if you, if you're, if you, since you brought your Bible, why don't you open with me to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23. Leviticus is the third book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's written by Moses. And we've been talking, just to kind of set the stage for you a little bit, we've been talking about how to wake up. That God is having a clarion call to his believers to not just wake up, but to respond. Like, it's not enough just to, to wake up. We have to wake up and respond. Wake up and respond, and that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is here. It's why we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not about uncontrolled emotion. It's actually about mastery over the emotions that want to control us. The Holy Spirit is here so that you and I can live in, in the presence of Jesus, with the power of Jesus, with the conviction of Jesus, with the truth of Jesus dwelling inside of our lives. That's why Jesus actually says in John 16, it's better that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away so I can send your spirit. Now, I don't know about you. That doesn't make any sense. Like Jesus saying, uh, it's better that I go. No, no, Jesus, I want you here. You being here would be better. He said, no, it's to your advantage I go so that I can send you my anointing. I'm going to send you the Spirit of God in your life. This is not a downgrade, somebody. Come on. We didn't, we didn't get downgraded. Come on. God doesn't downgrade you. God upgrades you. He brought the Spirit and let Him live inside of our lives. And so, as Jake already said, today is Pentecost Sunday. So if you need a, 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 a title for today's message, it's Living in the Promise. Because the Holy Spirit being in our life is not a Pentecostal teaching, it's a biblical teaching. This is a Pentecostal theology, it's biblical theology that comes from the promise of Jesus himself. So we need to learn to live. What's it mean to live? With a relationship with the Holy Spirit, not a theology of the Holy Spirit, a relationship with him. And this being Pentecost Sunday, I thought it would be a good day to talk about that. Because Pentecost, in this Pentecost, we see the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus to fill all of his disciples with his spirit. 
We, we see it, right, in Acts chapter 2, when we go to the upper room and the, and the Holy Spirit falls on the, the early disciples. And we're going to take a deeper look at that in just a moment. But I think here's the issue, here's the quandary that I see in modern church today. That, that, that we love talking about the promises of God, right? We rejoice in the promises. The promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And we love to glorify the promises of God. We talk about the promise of salvation, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of having victory in Jesus, that we're the head and not the tail. Come on. That we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That we can do all things through Christ who strength. That he is my provider. And those things are all true. But this is a promise that we can't simply know. This promise of God is meant to be experienced daily in our lives. This is a promise that we need to learn to live with daily. It's not for a future event. It's not just when I'm in need and I need provision. It's not just when I'm sick and I need the promise of healing. The promise of the Spirit is every day so that we can be led by a God of the everyday who's real in every way. And so, like Passover that we talked about a few weeks ago, we might miss some of the deep richness of this feast that we're looking at right here if we don't understand where it came from and how God was trying to reveal himself over the years so that we get to know him. The, the feasts of God are so that we get to know him more deeply. When we look at the feasts of God, we look at like 3,000, 4,000 years of history and say, way back when, God was already writing a love letter to you 4,000 years later. This is what he's doing so that we get to see Jesus along the way. Because remember, we've been learning that Paul tells us in Colossians 2.17 that the feasts are a shadow, but the reality is Jesus Christ. These things are just a shadow, but they reveal who Jesus Christ is. And they reveal them in three ways. And so when we look at these kind of events, when we look at biblical history, like the feasts, when we read books like Leviticus, we don't just flip through them because they're not just talking about the law. They're not just talking about sacrifices. They're not just talking about doves or sheep or lambs that are slaughtered and killed and how to do that. They're actually revealing Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament that Moses wrote about, Jesus said was written about him. We should believe Moses because Moses wrote about him. And when we read these things, when we see these things, we need to see them as a three-layer cake. So I got this three-layer cake that looks like an American flag. It's a Memorial Day, right? That's the way it should be. This is the way that we look at it, three layers. It's historically fulfilled in Israel. These things really happened. They are prophetically fulfilled in Jesus. That's the second layer. He prophetically manifests them. And they are spiritually fulfilled in you and I. Now the truth is every one of these layers can actually stand on its own. But they're meant to be enjoyed together. If you really want to get the big picture of the cake, you've got to eat it together. All has the same ingredients, but you've got to eat it all together. That's actually what we're trying to do when we look at the feast and understand what God is trying to do. Because in these things, we get excited. I get excited because I see how much God loves me. How much he has been wooing me, not for, not for 55 years, he's been wooing me for thousands of years. So when people say the Old Testament is irrelevant, I say the Old Testament is so relevant because what the Old Testament conceals, the New Testament reveals in Jesus. But it doesn't just reveal it about him, it reveals it about us. So historically... Pentecost was one of the three feasts. You should probably take some notes today. If not, you can go back and watch it. But 
It's one of the three feasts that all Jewish men of age were required by law to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to the temple to make. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, right? So why is that important? Because that means that Jesus, Jesus, did this from the time that he was 13 years old. We know that he did it before then because he was on the way when his, uh, when his family was there and he gets left in the temple as a 12-year-old and just wrecks everybody's religion in a moment. It's brilliant. But so in the time that he was an adult, he took these pilgrimages. He was willing to participate in something that he was going to fulfill. He was willing to participate in something he was meant to fulfill. My friends, there are things that you and I are meant to fulfill in our, in, in our families' lives. We're meant to fulfill in the life of our neighbors. We're meant to fulfill in the lives of our community. We're meant to fulfill in the life of church that we actually have to be willing to participate in because the Holy Spirit will manifest himself in it to fulfill what God intended. But we've got to be willing to participate. The Hebrew word for this is Shavuot. Shavuot is the feast of seven weeks. It's seven sevens plus one day. In Greek, the word is penta. It's where we get the word Pentecost from. Penta is 50. It's 50 days after the feast of first fruits. Now, we have to understand that the feast of first fruits starts in Passover. It's the, sad, it's the, it's the day after the Sabbath of Passover. Why is that important? Because that's the day Jesus rose again on. Jesus rose again on the day after the Sabbath of Passover. He rose again as the first fruit. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. He rose again on that day as the first fruits from those who be risen from the dead. Why is that so important? Because the first isn't the last. The first means this is the beginning of the harvest. You, Jesus was the beginning of the resurrected harvest. We are the continuation of that. He didn't end it. He started it. And I think what's so interesting for those of us who kind of like numbers, but seven sevens, seven is the number of completion, so it's complete completeness. And then seven plus one is what? Eight. Eight is the number of new beginnings. This whole feast is about new beginnings. The whole concept of living with the Holy Spirit in our lives is a new way of living. It's living in a new covenant, filled with a new power, established in a new hope, believing for a new harvest, and it is available for everyone who believes in Jesus. This is not about Christianity making us a better person than we are. This is about the resurrected power living inside of us, making us someone new who we couldn't be before. Christianity, modern Christianity, is trying to clean us up. The Holy Spirit is trying to change us from the inside out. That is completely different. I can clean myself up, but I can't change myself from the inside out. Because my heart is deceptively wicked above all things. I can't figure it out. I need the Spirit of God to drop into me what's wrong. I need the Spirit of God to convict me. When I think something's all right, when I've been doing something and going somewhere and, and satisfying my needs the way that I think I should, I need the Holy Spirit to go, whoa! Bro, you stepped across the boundary. I need you to recognize what is holy. Because you're treating what is holy as common. And I'm going to bring you back to it. But I can't do it on my own. 
Religion will tell me if I just be better, I'll do better. It's a lie. The Spirit says, let me change you, sanctify you from the inside out, because if I can start with a holy heart, I can make a holy life. So let's see where this comes from. Leviticus 23. It's weird to talk about the Feast of Pentecost in the Old Testament, because we only think of it from starting in Acts 2. But this is where he comes from. Verse 9 says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, I'm going to stop there for a moment. It's always for God, when God actually brings about his promises, it's always talking about getting out of the wilderness and living into the land of promise. It's not about wandering in the wilderness, it's actually about the promised land. And the promised land is a picture of abundant life of a disciple of Jesus. You're going to hear me say this, but believers love to wander in the wilderness, but believers live within the, ba- the covenant boundaries of the promises of God. This is the difference. God was never, a, God, God's not, God didn't actually send the people who wandered back into slavery. He had set them free from slavery. That was a done deal. They chose not to live in the promised land. You and I have a choice as men and women of God. To just live in the freedom from the past, sin and forgiveness and the grace of God, or to continue in as a disciple, to choose to live within the covenant boundaries of God's land. Because that's where the harvest, that's where John 10.10 comes in. And I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. He says, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that he may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So what we see is the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Pentecost working together. They're intricately tied together. What Passover starts, Pentecost ends. They are two sides of the same coin. They're intricately tied together, right? It's, it's the beginning and the end. It's the alpha and the omega. It's one is the work of the Savior. The other is the work of the King. So often in our lives, we pick what side of the coin that we want to live on. But we can't live in just the Passover. We have, Passover is tied together with Pentecost. We can't just be Pentecostals without living in the purity of the Passover. We can't live in the purity of the Passover without living in the power of Pentecost. Those two things are intricately tied together. This is not Pentecostal theology. It is biblical theology. And I love this. Do you realize that the first fruit offerings at Passover, they offered unleavened bread with wine? Verse 13 says that they offered, it started with bread and wine that produced a sweet aroma. What starts in you and I as a, 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 with bread and wine actually produces an aroma that changes our environment. That ch- Did you ever, my, my, my wife Danielle, she wears some amazing perfume and she doesn't even have to be in the room. I can tell when she was, had been in the room. How can I tell when ha- she'd been in the room? By the aroma that's left. See, see, it's not just that you were there somewhere. The Holy Spirit changes environments. 
The work of the Spirit changes attitudes that you and I have been chipping away at and chipping away at and chipping away at and chipping away at and and feeling like we haven't gotten anywhere. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and like an aroma that fills the room. He begins to change things in the supernatural that our religion can't change in the natural. It's why we're frustrated because we've been trying to be good and do good and expect good to come back to us. But it's not about being good and doing good. It's about trusting the God who is good to do what only God can do. That's why it goes on in verse 15. It says, you shall count seven full weeks. I'm going somewhere. I'm just setting the table. Are you all right? You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. From the day that you bought the sheath for the wave offering, you shall count 50 days to the day of the seventh Sabbath, when you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. Listen to this. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made with two tenths of fat. They shall be with fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. At Pentecost, just like at Passover that we talked about, you bring bread. But this time, you bring two loaves of bread. Two loaves of bread. Why? Because it's for the Jewish nation and the Gentile nation. They're both made of the same ingredients. Why? Because Jesus has come to die for all of us. The Spirit is the same. It's not just a promise for the Jewish people. It's not just a promise for the holy people. It's not just a promise for the good people. It's a promise for the Jew and the Gentile. Everyone who's made of the same, come on, two loaves made of the same ingredients. This time with new wheat. Why? Why new wheat? Because Matthew 13, Jesus said that you and I are the new wheat of the king's harvest. It's not our old wheat that he just sifted through and got got the good out of our bad. It's new wheat in you and I. And this time, it's with leaven. Why with leaven this time? Because although leaven in the Old Testament, leaven in Passover meant sin, leaven in the New Testament, I mean in Pentecost, means sin change it's an it's an element it's an agent of growth when we get the holy spirit in our lives when we begin to become a disciple of jesus christ it should bring growth in our life growth internally and externally around us what a promise of god he's not just there to feed you he's there to help you grow not just to get better to get bigger that's why james says in james 1 18 he says we have become the first fruits of all of God's creation. When the Spirit comes in us, comes inside of us, we become the first fruits of all that were created. And I think what's cool about the first fruits is that when the first fruits started to, to grow up out of the ground, the farmer would take a string and he'd mark it. He'd take something and he'd wrap it around it and he'd mark it so that he would know which was the first fruit that came up first. Isn't it interesting to me, to you, that Jesus was wrapped in a linen garment and was the first one who was risen from the dead? Why? So that he was marked as the first fruit for those who would be risen from the dead later on. And on Pentecost, Jesus marked you and I with the precious Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says, you and I have been sealed. We've been marked. We've been wrapped. He told that tied a bow around you with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee so that you and I know what our inheritance is going to be in Jesus Christ. And it started when it started to grow, not after it grew. 
I think some of us always think, I know when I get more mature, when I get older, when I know more of the Bible, if I just go to Bible college, then I know he'll give me the spirit. No, the Bible says when the first growth started to just break through the surface, he would mark it. It's not about how much you have grown. It's about how much the spirit can grow in you through his power. Why? Because we are Jesus' offering to the Father. And the truth is, my friends, this is a feast of thanksgiving. It's about the harvest. It's about bearing fruit. It's about the supernatural provision of God. It's about bringing us into the land flowing with milk and honey. It's why this table was, is filled with, with all sorts of elements. There were seven things that they brought Seven things that they brought, barley and grapes and, and, and olives, hallelujah, and dates and figs, some pomegranate, I don't think I'm going to eat that, some wheat. Why did they bring these things? Because it reminded them that God is a God of diversity and abundance, this, is, this was a land that was wilderness and dry. They had been in a wilderness where they couldn't even find water, but when God brought them into the promised land, these things were already there. They didn't have to cultivate it. They were already there. They just had to steward what God had already given them to increase the harvest to bless God with it. There's diversity in this abundance. It reminds us, it represents not only the diversity of culture in the kingdom of God, but of kingdom gifting. All of us are different, but we're all on the same table. Some of you may be barley. Some of you may be dates. Somebody's a fig in here. Hallelujah. Right? Someone's a little grapey. We'll try this again. Those are good. I don't have to be a grape if I'm a fig, but I got to be on the same table. I got to be willing to be offered up to the same God. I have to realize that the harvest through the Spirit that's empowering me is important to worship Him and change our world. History tells us that they would take all this stuff and they would load it on carts and they would decorate those carts with olive branches and they'd bring it into the city of Jerusalem. And when they saw somebody in the city, they would say, Peace unto you! Peace unto you! Isn't that what Jesus had told them to wait for? His peace? Because this time, he didn't come as the, as, the, as the suffering servant. This time, he came decorated in the regalia of the resurrected Lord. It wasn't about the Jesus of Passover. It was about the Jesus of Pentecost. It wasn't about the work of a Savior. It was about the work of a King. It's not an either-or, church. These two things are tied Together, we can't have one without the other. We can't elevate one and decrease the other. They are intricately tied together for the glory of God. And the reality is that this was them bringing in their tithe to worship God. As a matter of fact, you realize that they would not even eat of anything of that harvest until they offered the first fruits to God. Now, that takes a lot of trust because you don't know how the rest of the harvest is going to come. But they would not eat of anything until they gave the first fruit offering. This is how it happened. We need to see this. Because they would take the first fruits and they would actually give it in this Pentecost moment. They would give it to the priests. The priests would give it to God. God would give it back to the priests in order to give it to the people. 
The, the people would give it to the priests. The priests would give it to God. God would give it back to the priest to give it to the people. Don't we see Jesus in this? This is what Jesus did with his spirit. He said on the cross, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. Jesus gave the Father his spirit. The Father gave it back to his priests so that his priests could give the spirit to the people. God, Jesus gave it to the Father. The Father gave it to the priests. The priests are meant to give away the Spirit to the people. And the Holy Spirit is meant to be given away. It's not this ornamentation. It's not this moment in service when someone speaks in tongues and someone else interprets. Those are beautiful moments and should be happening. But that's not what this is about. What this is about is the Holy Spirit's power being resident in our community. Love and grace and goodness. It's a gift from the Father to His priests and through His priests into His world. But it's not just about the power of God to be given away. Tradition tells us also that on this day of Pentecost, they were celebrating the day the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. The law was given. How to live in this new land. God said, I want to teach you. You came out of one culture, but you can't bring that culture with you. I got to give you something new. You won't figure it out on your own. You can't figure it out on your own. Let me give you something new. Exodus 19.1 says, they arrived there on the third month. So during the time of Jesus, before the time of Jesus, priests had figured out that this was the 50th day. The 50th day is when Moses went up onto Mount Sinai. And so for the Jewish people, in the time of Jesus, and for all of his disciples, this is part of what they were celebrating in Acts chapter 2. They were celebrating not just getting out of slavery and not just a new harvest, but a God who was willing to make a new covenant with them. A God that was going to try to teach them how to live in this new way, in this new kingdom, in this new land, in this new life. Because Passover had set them free and rescued them from death. But Pentecost would show them how to live in a new relationship with God. And that's the struggle. Can I be honest? That's what we struggle with. Let's be really honest. We don't struggle with accepting the fact that we've been forgiven. Maybe even accepting the fact that Jesus' blood has set us free. But to be honest, we struggle with having a real day-to-day -day relationship with God that's not religious. That's not based on rules and us trying to be better, but listening to the voice of the King, responding to the peace of the Spirit, manifesting the power of our God in our present life. We struggle. But how good is our God? He doesn't leave us alone. That's why Exodus 19 says in verse 3, Moses went up to God and, there, and, and then it says, now therefore, it will, it will indeed, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, uh, my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Does that sound familiar at all? Isn't that what Peter says? The great Peter, for some of you, who was the first pope, and for others of us, who, were, who was one of the most key figures of our early faith, he rises up in 1 Peter 2.9 and says, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. For what purpose? To get out of darkness and to proclaim into our world the glory of God. 
How do we do this? The Holy Spirit. Because God goes on to lay out on that moment the covenant with them, the Ten Commandments, the law, how they were meant to live with God in that land. What was he doing? He was creating the environment for healthy community and healthy relationship with himself and with other people. Creating a new culture. Not simply counterculture, it's kingdom culture. Christianity is not simply counterculture. What's culture say, okay, all right, then I know that's got to be wrong, let me go the opposite way. No, there's a kingdom culture. And the only way to actually know that is actually to not only know the truth, but to know the spirit as well. But I love it because he doesn't do it in a, a plain and boring moment. He does it with great signs and with wonders and great displays of power, right? Exodus 18, uh, 19, verse 18 says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it with fire. The smoke of it went up and the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. This is really cool. Did you get this moment? When Moses went up, the covenant came down. When Moses went up, the covenant came down. And how did it come down? With great noise, with great thunder, with great signs, with great power, and with fire. Doesn't this remind us of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus says to his disciples, Look, wait in Jerusalem, and I'm gonna, great power is going to descend on you when I fill you with the right way to live. When I fill you with the rules of Christianity. When you actually learn what political party is the right political party for me. He said, I'm going to fill you with power when the Holy Spirit descends on you so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And then the Bible says, and Jesus then ascended into heaven. Jesus went up, come on somebody, and the Spirit came down. So turn the page. In the upper room, they were celebrating, bringing the first fruits of their harvest to God. They were rejoicing in how faithful he was at giving them such fruit, bringing them such a harvest of life. But they were also thinking about this being a time that God gave them the covenant and the law through fire and through the thunderclap from a cloud on a mountaintop. So when there was a rushing wind and there were tongues of fire that descended upon them and the word of God began to speak through the cloud, they were easily recognized that this was a new Sinai moment. They weren't confused with what was going on. They saw it for what it was. God is trying to give them a new Sinai. If they had lived their lives up to this point, following the old covenant and the old Sinai, now God was doing something new, but the same way through fire, through wind, through sound, through his word. That's why Acts chapter 2 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout from every nation under heaven. And at this loud sound, the multitude came together. They were be be bewildered because each one of them was hearing them. 
speak in his own language. This day, my friends, this feast that we're talking about is about bringing us into a new culture, a new power, a new purpose in our life, a new culture to live out through a new covenant given by God, a new power to live in a way that you and I could never live before on our own, and a new purpose not just to be a part of the harvest, but to bring in the harvest as well. See, Pentecost is the celebration of the bearing of fruit. It's celebrating fruit that we could not produce in Egypt on our own. When we were slaves to sin, we had no way of producing the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, we love, but not purely. We had happiness rather than joy. What we called peace usually just meant a lack of conflict rather than a true peace in the midst of conflict. There's no way for you and I to create for ourselves what only the Spirit could create, no matter how hard we tried. And so the truth is, the issue that so many of us face is that we live our life off of Christian law. But law brings a dependence on the religious. It brings a dependence on doing things right and, getting, and not getting things wrong. But we can't do that. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that well, the law was given so to show us what we couldn't do on our own. We think if I could just follow the law, I'd be fine. You can't. That's the purpose of the law, to show you and I we can't do it. But where the law brought dependence on the religious, Pentecost brings uh, dependence on the, rela- on the relational. It's not about laws written on stone anymore. It's about what Ezekiel 36 says, a law written on our hearts by the king. It brings about this paradigm shift from us trying to be better slaves to us being living in the freedom as children of God. And the reality is in our world, we so often need to be set free from that kind of slave mentality to works. The slave mentality to self-reliance to finding security in the things of our past, feeling more connected to where we've come from than to where God is leading us forward into. But my friends, that's why Pentecost is so important. Because we need to become more connected to the Jesus of Pentecost and not just the Jesus of Passover. The church has created a connection to the Jesus of Passover and we should say amen. All of us are thankful for Good Friday. All of us are rejoicing for what he did for us on the cross. But there's a Jesus of Pentecost that says in Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ came to set you free. What does that mean? Freedom to be able to do what I couldn't do before, which is to be holy. Holiness comes through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit by him convicting us of our sin, for him speaking to us and changing us from the inside out. We can't manufacture that through religious action. We can only, we can only let that be manifest through relational response. We are trying to do through religious action what can only be manifest through relational response. That's why Passover is freedom from slavery, but Pentecost gives us the power to walk in the new covenant relationship with God. Believers walk with God in the wilderness, in the vastness of the wilderness, but disciples choose to live 
within the covenant boundaries of the promised land. And this is where spirit-led living comes in. See, my friends, we are a covenant people with God. That's what the Ten Commandments were. They're not a rule book. It's a marriage covenant. He's saying, here's two parties. We're going to get married. That's why he says, I had to divorce Israel. Because they were married. The Ten Commandments is a marriage. It says, look, I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. We're going to do these things together. And I'll be faithful even if you're not. The problem with this is that because of our brokenness and our humanity, we couldn't fulfill the Ten Commandments, so Jesus did it for us. And then he gave us his spirit so that we could live in the newness of what he has created. Because we can't create healthy relationship on our own. We, mm, we mess up relationship all the time. That's why he gives us the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.23. What are they all about? How to have healthy relationship. How to love somebody without anything in return. How to be patient when they drive you crazy. How to be kind when you want to punch them in the throat. Like, see, because we get in church and we get all holy. And then we wonder why we struggle on Tuesday. Because you wanted to punch the dude in the throat on Sunday, you were just too pious to say it. But the Holy Spirit says, I know you want to punch him in the throat. Let's work on that. Right? Let's work. He's not like this. See, this is, this is our God. This is the God I grew up with. You want to punch him in the throat? What's wrong with you? Don't you know what I gave up for you? Don't you know what I did for you? Don't you know how those nails hurt my hands? Anyone else have a God like that? But see, that's not the Spirit. The Spirit says, I understand. I want to punch him in the throat too. <laughs> Let's work on this together. Like God's not sitting back there and going, oh no, that guy's really a good guy. No, he knows. <laughs> Just like he knows you're the person someone else wants to punch in the throat. I'm going to move on. Come on. This is why we can't just go on ourselves. I'm going to preach next week about how to live in a context, a kingdom context, not just a biblical context, because those two things are different. Make sure you come back. Because we like to live in a biblical context where we get to pick and choose what Bible verses we want to live under. But the kingdom context, but you see, you can live with biblical context without kingdom context. But you can't live in a kingdom context without biblical context. I know I got to get back to this. I'm already too long. Hallelujah. We got to wrap this up. But I want to bring it home with some good news because the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit of Pentecost fills us with the power to be the disciples Jesus created us to be. The issue was on Mount Sinai, when God wanted to reveal himself, they said to Moses, don't want to go, you go for us, don't want any part of this intimacy thing. On Sinai, God revealed his power to his people, but on Pentecost, God revealed his power in his people. That's why we can't be silent. On this day that Jesus prophetically fulfills Pentecost in Acts 2, he starts spiritually fulfilling Pentecost in us. 
This wasn't a new concept. They were celebrating Joel 2.28, that in, these, in those days when my Messiah will come, he will pour out his, flat, his spirit on some really good people. Some people who've tithed. Some people who didn't smoke, cuss, or go with girls who did, right? Come on. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Men and women will prophesy. Young and old will see visions. I'm going to manifest myself because it's not about their glory. It's about my glory. I'm going to show who I can use and I can use everybody. What a God we have. Pentecost should be as important as Passover to you and I. It reminds us of Romans 8.23 where it says we are the first fruits of the Spirit of God. Why is that so important? Because Jesus said his followers, his worshipers must worship in truth and in spirit. Modern Christianity, we're just trying to work out what is truth and is truth absolute? Is it relative? Is it subjective? Is it objective? I don't need to worry about that when I've got the Spirit because He'll convict me of when I think what I think God thinks is wrong. He'll remind me that I'm not God. My God, my Spirit has a really good way of reminding me I'm not in control. But we can't live Passover without Pentecost or we can't be Pentecostal without Passover. Do you remember at the end of Passover, they opened the door And they left a cup of wine out on the table for the prophet Elijah because they were waiting for the prophet of power to come. Isn't that the picture of Jesus in 2 Kings chapter 2? The Bible says when Elijah, the great prophet, ascended, the mantle that was on him descended. It fell onto Elisha, his servant, his disciple. And when he put it on, he not only walked with Elijah's power, he had a double portion of the anointing. That's the picture. When Elijah went up, the mantle came down. When Jesus went up, his mantle came down. And we don't just have to pick it up and put it on. We get to walk in double portion of the anointing of God. It's not because we're good enough. It's because he's good enough. It's not for any church glory, any personal glory. Look at me. Look what I can do. I can cast out demons from 50 feet. I can prophesy over people. I can read your mail. I know what you did last night. It's not for your glory. It's for his glory. The power of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are available to all. I struggled with this because I grew up in a world in a church belief system that said the spirit is not for today. And then I read the Bible. Because that same Peter who received the spirit on on that day of Pentecost, when the prophetically fulfilling Jesus poured it out for the spiritually applying people, Peter rises up in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and says, This gift, this promise that you're called to live in is for you, your children, and for all those who are far off. But that Greek word for far off doesn't mean in distance. He wasn't talking about those who weren't in Jerusalem, but they were in Rome, or they were in Germany, or they were in Africa somewhere. That Greek word means for all those who are yet to come in time and space. 
He was saying this promise that we're meant to live in, that Jesus poured out in that upper room. You may have never been to the upper room. You may have never been to Israel. You may have never been to Jerusalem. But the same spirit he poured out there is the same spirit he can pour out here in this place. Because it's for all of us who are yet to come in Jesus. If you are in Jesus in Passover, then you are called to be in Jesus at Pentecost. And the spirit comes so that we can produce and bring in a harvest, a harvest of holiness, a harvest of wholeness, a harvest of men and women, young and old, rich and poor, a harvest for His glory, personally and corporately, externally and internally, power to break strongholds, Power over sickness, over depression, over disease, over anxiety, over things seen and unseen. Power to break the hold of the world. Power to break the hold of the flesh over people's lives. What we can't do on our own, the Spirit of God does through His power. That's what we're celebrating here today. So we have to ask ourselves, why does Jesus say He is giving us His power? Why did Jesus say He's going to give us His Spirit? Acts 1.8, to be my witnesses. To have better church services? Sure. To make sure someone in our family who's sick gets healed? Yeah, no doubt. That's a benefit. It's icing on the cake. The purpose of the Spirit of God is to not be afraid of this world, but to bring the light of Jesus Christ into it and trust the Holy Spirit to do the difference. I don't have to convince my friends. Paul says, I didn't come with persuasive words of wisdom. I came with demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. It's not about being a part of the harvest, but putting the gifts to work to keep bringing in the harvest. The gifts of prophecy and healing, of administration and hospitality, of speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues, the gifts of generosity and of faith. Because Jesus said in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful. It's my laborers who aren't showing up. So he empowered you and I as laborers to bring in the harvest. And there's no excuses. Why? Because he says, lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Yeah, but Jesus, you don't know how bad my work is. I'll be with you even to the end of the age. But you don't know. My family has kicked me out. My family stopped talking to me. I'll be with you even to the end of the age. Yeah, but you don't know. The doctor's report says there's no hope. I'll be with you even to the end of the age. I'm not asking you to heal the person. I'm asking you to trust me. I'm not asking you to save the person. I did that already. I'm the Jesus of Passover. I'm asking you to share the gospel with them and trust the Jesus of Pentecost to make the difference. This, my friends, is what a royal priesthood, a holy nation looks like. What a church, what a people living relationally with God living relationally with each other through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, overcoming the flesh and the world through the power of the Spirit, 
and a people who are purposed on bringing in a new harvest through the gifts of the Spirit. This is who the Jesus of Pentecost has made us to be. This is the promise we're called to live in. Pentecost isn't the way you hoop and holler. It's not even whether you raise your hands or worship or not. It's not whether or not you believe in tongues or don't believe in tongues. You know what Pentecost is? The willingness to surrender your power and your control to His. And live in such a way that miracles are mandated. If Jesus doesn't show up, I don't know what I'll do. If the Spirit doesn't move, I don't know what I'll do. I love the Jesus of Passover. But for years I was robbed of the Jesus of Pentecost. Do you know on the day on Mount Sinai when the covenant came down of Pentecost in the wilderness, 3,000 people died because they disobeyed? The law was shattered and 3,000 people died. But when our word was shattered on that same day, 3,000 people lived. I don't want to just keep having good church services. I don't want to be part of the end time church that says that they denied his power. They have the appearance of godliness. The appearance of godliness. The appe- I don't want to be that pastor. I don't want to be that church. I don't want to live the last years of my life saying, man, I hope people think that I'm a good Christian. We cannot afford to deny his power any longer because people are not running into the church looking for moral answers. But I promise you, when they see the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the patience of a spirit-filled person, the boldness of someone who won't live without a harvest, the courage of someone that says, Jesus, the harvest is plentiful, and I know the laborers are few, but count me in. The world and the devil has no answer for that kind of life. The devil has no answer for a man or woman filled with the power of God. He has no answer. Because when Jesus rose from the dead as the first fruits of Pentecost, he disarmed every principality and power. Let me ask you a question. Since you've accepted the Jesus of Passover, what would keep you 
for bowing down to the Jesus of Pentecost and simply asking the Holy Spirit because Jesus said, John baptized you with water, but I have come to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Look at two of my friends over there that got baptized last week. You know what happened? They said, I'm in, Jesus. They dunked under the water and they came out of the water and the water was all over them and they got wet. They got everybody else wet. They gave everybody else hugs and got everyone else who they hugged wet. See, but that's what happens when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. You just let them pour all over you. And then what's on you gets on others. I'm just going to pray. These are Jesus' words. You have heard from me that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Same God back then, same God right now. Same promise back then, same promise right now. Same Jesus of Pentecost back then, same Jesus of Pentecost right now. There is a baptism that comes with the Holy Spirit. And it comes through surrender. And so I'm going to ask you, if you've never been baptized in the Spirit before. Maybe, man, you used to walk with the Spirit so tightly, but to be honest, it's been so long since you've been filled. You've leaked right out. You need to be filled again. I'm going to pray with you in just a moment. But while I'm praying, I want you to pray because the Bible says we're two touch something in agreement. The Father starts to move. I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to baptize you, to fill you, to fall like he did at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 on each and every person here. For us to be able for his gifts to flow out in diversity and in power. For new tongues to be given to each person. New ways of, of, of making inroads with their friends and their families. New supernatural gifting that flows from the inside out for the Holy Spirit to help us have relationship with God and relationship with others that is healthy and holy. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit manifests himself in this room like never before in your lives. This is not a Pentecostal church moment. This is a Bible moment. This is a moment with Jesus just saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I'm all in. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with power. If you want to pray that prayer, can I really encourage you? Just lift up your hands. There's something about lifting up our hands in the sanctuary. There's something about blessing the Lord in the sanctuary with our lips and with our hands and with our hearts and just start to call out to God. Just start saying, Jesus, I need you. Pour out your spirit in my life. Fill me up with the Holy Ghost. Let me be who you've called me to be. Fill me up with power. Let your fruit grow in me. Here is fertile soil. My heart is fertile ground. Fill me with the Spirit, Holy Spirit. I pray for each and every person around this room right now who's online right now, lifting up hands and lifting up hearts. We pray, Holy Spirit of Pentecost, fall. Fall afresh and anew. Begin to pour out power. Begin to pour out purpose. Begin to pour out your presence in people's lives. Break chains. Shatter addictions in Jesus' name. Destroy the lives of the enemy that has been re deeply rooted in the name of Jesus. 
Birth new tongues, Lord God. Birth prayer languages where we are praying in the Spirit. The Bible says when I do not know what to pray, the Spirit begins to pray through me. The Holy Spirit prays through me with a language I don't know, but He's got on lock. My King, my God, my glory. Break chains, shatter strongholds. Jesus, Jesus, we want you, the Jesus of Passover and the Jesus of Pentecost. The work of the Savior and the work of the King. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was in his midst to come. Holy, 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 holy. My whole world. Daddy, I'm just going to end this prayer with the same way we started praying today. My whole world is in your hands. God, I can't do it. can't do it alone. I can't do it without you been trying to do a lot of things for you, God. But Holy Spirit, I want to do things with you. Forgive me, God, for the times I trusted myself, relied on myself, tried to pull myself up by the bootstraps and be better. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. My worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Church, these moments aren't just about a church moment. You can take them home with you. I'm going to take some of this fruit home with me. Shayla, I'll give you some of the bread, though. I'm going to take the fruit home with me. You get to take the Holy Spirit home with you. Just going to stay here for a few more moments.
Let the Spirit move. D, I'm going to ask you to just come pray, pray, pray us out today. You know, Pastor Kevin was going to come and do offering today. But you know, here's the way. They brought their first fruits and they gave them to God. And God gave them back so they could give them to the people. There's a thousand ways you can give today. You can give with the QR code that's on the screen. You can give through the envelopes that are there. You can drop it in those gold kiosks on the way out. On those kiosks, there's all sorts of the QR codes as well. You can find out more about church. Freely you've received. Freely give. They tied the string as it first started to grow before they ever knew what the harvest was going to look like. Because they knew if they could trust God with the first, He would bless them with the rest. Why don't we stand?
All reverence of you is due you today. All worship of you is due you today and every day is due you today and every day even today and every day for you are the same you do not change God, I thank you not only for your son, I thank you for your spirit. I sense, God, that your people, after having your son walk on this earth, would have felt an absence had you not left a palpable, tangible portion of yourself here until you come back for us. And I thank you, Father, for the spirit of God that closes those distances. And I thank you, Father, that when we seek to bring you glory, even in the absolutely hardest of moments, it's your spirit, Father, that even makes that possible. I thank you, Father, for your steady strength. I thank you for your kindness that leads us to repentance. And I also thank you for your truth. And I, help, I pray that you would help this house to know the truth and that it will set us free more and more each day. We give, physically, hand over ourselves to you today. Amen. Amen. Love you, church. Have a beautiful weekend.